Your Partner in Success Radio is a free business podcast with host Denise Griffiths. It's all about great stories, conversation, and context to help you move your business and life forward with actionable tips and advice from her guest experts. To listen and subscribe, just find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you consume your podcasts. Welcome to your Partner in Success Radio. I'm your host, Denise Griffiths, and today we're diving into stress and what it does to us individually and collectively. And the standard narrative tells us that stress is an individual problem with individual solutions, that it's a lifestyle issue, a medical condition, and a challenge to our personal well-being. But according to my guest, Frank Forensich, author of Beware False Tigers, Strategies and Antidotes for an Age of Stress, The standard narrative gets it wrong. In fact, he says that stress is a systemic cycle. Let me see if I can say this. Psychosocial problem and a global health issue. It's a shared predicament that demands collective action. And the good news, according to Frank, is that stress can actually be the key to unlocking a more functional and fulfilling future for all of us. And today, Frank joins us to share how we can respond to the right tigers in the right proportion at the right time. Good morning, Frank, and welcome to your part in Success Radio. And thank you for sending your book to me. It's on my desk as we speak. Wonderful. Glad to be here. I'm, I'm really excited to talk. Well, it's a great book. Listen, I, I'm really proud to say, I'm going to share this with the audience. In my audience, I've got two big bookcases. A third one is on its way because I've got books sitting on the floor and on the futon, I've got books everywhere, and every single book in this room was gifted to me by my, my podcast guests, and yours is one of them, so you're in really good company, and I, but my point for that was, I read it this weekend, and I've got sticky notes all over it, and it's a, it, in some ways, it's kind of frightening, I have to say, there, there were a few times that I was grabbing my stomach and going, oh, geez, (laughs) been there, done that, still doing it. So we have a lot to talk about. Wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Before before I get too deep into questions, tell people a bit about yourself that I wasn't able to share during the the intro because I want people to hear from you, not me. Right. Well, my journey in all of this started way back in college where uh, I was studying human biology and human evolution. And I had a professor who was very interested in human history. And he said that if you really want to understand the body, that what you have to do is go to Africa. And so I took him up on that. I went to Africa and I actually spent some time with some indigenous hunter gatherer people. And that set me off on this path where I became intensely curious about the body, especially the body in context, in, in its habitat, in its setting. And I started to see a lot of things about the human predicament that were really Um, distressing and really challenging. So that was some 40 years ago where I started that. And I got involved in athletic training and I went to massage school where we, we learned a lot about stress. And so that kind of unlocked this whole domain of curiosity for me. And it's just very exciting to be involved with stress. And that I'm not laughing, but that that just sounds so wrong. <laughs> oh yeah, but I, I, I get it. <laughs> yeah, and that's right off the bat. That's kind of a solution here because when you look at stress that way as something that's inherently interesting, something that's fascinating, that opens a door for thinking about our own personal predicaments in a new way. And yeah, well, okay, it's. Stress can definitely be unpleasant, but it does give us an opportunity to see our lives in a new way. It also gives you an opportunity to go do something. You know, I don't know about you, but when stress hits me, it's because I haven't done something or I really need to do something or I'm just good and mad at myself. And that's when I go do something. So I find that most stress, and I call it just kind of low-level Denise stress, gets me moving 
if that mm-hmm. makes any Oh, yeah, and that's the beauty of this study is because you start to realize that stress is a frenemy, which is to say it's partly friendly, it's a partly an enemy, and there are huge benefits from being stressed, and it's just a matter of degree. And so one of the foundational concepts here is this idea of the inverse U-curve where stress hormones, stress experience helps us focus. It gives us better uh, memory, better control, and the benefits tend to increase as we are more stressed. And then, of course, you reach a tipping point and the whole thing falls apart. But that inverse U-curve is a great icon for understanding stress and for, and for living our lives, too. You have to, that's one of the first things to understand is where are you on the stress curve? And if you see yourself as being on the left side of the curve, then you're probably okay. You're probably in that sweet spot. But if you see yourself as being on the right side of the curve, then it's really time to do something. So you've gone, I'm thinking about the, I'm trying to picture the curve. So you have this you and you start over on the left and you're okay. I'm a standard Denise stress. Like, oh, geez, now what kind of thing. But nothing that makes you want to go, you know, blow something up then you get to the bottom of it it's kind of like a um what when the pendulum swings isn't it you know you get all the way to the bottom and then you get to the other side and you're in trouble so i I think i understand that well flip flip that u-shape upside down Uh, you have a increase in the benefit when you're on the left side a little bit of stress is good. A little bit more is better. A little bit more is even better. And then you hit the tipping point. You go over the top, and now stress becomes toxic to your experience, toxic even to your nervous system. So that's the key is understanding and noticing when you go over the top of the curve. So basically, once you hit that curve and you're sliding down, you're in trouble. Right. And it's okay. bad not just for you personally and your own personal health, but it's bad for the people around you as well and bad for all of us. Oh, no kidding. Listen, when I get around really stressed people, I'm a coward. I leave. Mm -hmm. I I really do. It's like I am not going to sit here and I can't. I mean, I'll try to help as best as I can, but when it's apparent that my help is not going to be welcomed or even effective – I bail because I cannot, and we shouldn't, I think, sit around and, and, you know, whoa, whoa, poor is me with everybody else. It's damaging. Right. And that points to this really foundational idea that humans are hyper-social creatures and that all of our emotional lives are contagious, and that is true for stress as well which makes sense in terms of our history. If you're out in the bush with a tribe of hunter-gatherers and somebody is picking up some sort of sensation or information about the, the nature of your predicament and they, they become more stressed, of course you would feel that. And that's the big problem with the modern world now is that a lot of us are, are giving off these waves of stress now and everybody is uh, affected by that. This is true. I mean, I stay away from, I have to be in social media because I'm a social social media manager, but I'm very careful about what I'm willing to take in and listen to or look at. If it's mm-hmm. not business related, if it's not good for my client or good for me, I just walk away from it. I mean, this, and so many people are just, they just put everything. If they thought it, it hits their keyboard. Can y'all stop doing that? Just stop doing that, please. Right. And, and what you described there is the importance of boundaries. And you're putting right. limits on, on your exposure to stress out in the world. And that's a very important foundational idea. It is. And, you know, I learned that a long time ago. I can, I can deal with my own stress most times. I don't want to take years on just because you want to offer it. 
Just mm-hmm. back away. Everybody back <laughs> away and nobody gets hurt. But I am on page 38 of your book, and I'm going to have to read this because this is an exercise that you show us. Is take a moment, slow down, and reflect on what you're thinking and feeling. And we all have to do that. I've had to learn. Listen, I'm an A-type personality. I hit the floor running, and the devil says, oh, crap, she's awake. I mean, seriously, I've had to train myself to slow the heck down. So when I read this, I went, oh, he gets it. So hang on, losing my voice. So it says, answer these questions. What's the source of my stress? Can I put my finger on it? Is it inside or outside or both? Is this an objectively real tiger or is it subjective and open to interpretation? Is this tiger going to kill me if I let down my guard? Does this tiger threaten me with physical death, a social death, a financial death, or a creative death? Is this tiger a real or perceived threat to my body or my livelihood, to my family, friends, or colleagues? Is this tiger a threat to my identity or to the cultural story that sustains us? And does it feel like a threat to my values, my sense of security, predictability, and control? And finally, what are the consequences if I ignore this tiger? Is it worth my time and trouble? I have to tell you, Frank, I had to sit with that multiple times over the weekend when I was reading your book. I've got a big old yellow sticky note on it, and I kept going back and asking myself these questions. I'd go outside and dig holes and garden, and then I'd come back in and go, all right, is this tiger going to kill me? <laughs> it, was, it was an interesting, I, it was a very interesting, and you said this you know, in our, our virtual green room, curiosity. And, boy, I was way curious curious about what is driving my stress. Is it going to kill me? Mm-hmm. Is it, Or is mm-hmm. it just going to tick me off? Most of the time, I have to tell you, it just ticks me off. <laughs> yeah, well, what that exercise does, it speaks to the fact that stress, our experience of stress, is oftentimes vague and ambiguous. Right. We have these rising stress hormones in our body, and that is not very articulate. It doesn't talk to us. It doesn't say exactly what the problem is. And that, again, that's that's how the modern world is so different. Because if you lived in the paleo, if you were part of a hunter-gatherer tribe, your stress would have been easy to understand because you would have been chased by a lion, you would have had a wildfire, you would have been up in a tree and in danger of falling out of the tree, you would have been crossing a big river. All of those stressors are very tangible and very easy to understand. And there's really no confusion about any of that. But now here in the modern world, we're, we're just besieged by all these vague kinds of stressors, novel stressors that we never had before. Everything from computer viruses to phishing attacks to fine print and the contracts, all these things that we don't really know. So this is why we sit down and do what you might call a, a stress inventory. How do I feel? And what are the consequences if I ignore these things? And honestly, that really comes down to priorities too, doesn't it? Because you'll say, okay, I've identified with me, it's artificial intelligence. Like, really? Get away from me. I have to deal with it. I have to learn it. I don't want to, but I have to. (laughs) Because, you know, I'm a I'm a digital agency. I'm a web developer. I have to know these things. Doesn't mean it doesn't stress me because it does. And right. it, but is it going to kill me? Probably not. So once I right. ask myself, is this going to kill me, or is it just going to make me go out outside and kick a tree? Okay, I'll go outside and kick the tree. I'm fine. <laughs> right. Yeah. The um, just that basic question: Is this a real tiger? And so often we take on stress that we that doesn't benefit us in any way. So just that question is very helpful. Well, and we have to remember to ask that question or several of these questions. Is this real? Is this a priority? Is this going to hurt my, my business? Can this be postponed until later on in the day? And you know what I find out too? Once I've postponed something enough, I find out I really didn't want or need to do it anyway. So sometimes you should get in front of that so you don't waste time playing around with it all day. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, there, there's so many 
solutions. I, I came up with a list of about a dozen or so solutions, and, and maybe we can go through some of those because yeah. I think they're, they're, they're very powerful. And so we, we've asked the question about, is this a real tiger? And that the second solution that I use is to look at our human predicament in the modern world and the fact that we are fundamentally mismatched with the modern world because our, our bodies are ancient, our bodies are aboriginal, and a lot of the challenges that we face today are completely unique in our experience. So that is foundational, and it's um, something that affects everybody. So the first solution here is simply to give yourself a break. You are an animal living in what amounts to an alien environment. And give yourself some some slack on that. You can't be expected to get it right every time. Okay. And that yeah. does make sense because I've, I've often thought that many of our politicians are aliens. They're not here. <laughs> That's neither here nor there. And I'm actually not kidding about that. But right. you keep on going because we okay. are under stress and many of us don't. I think we don't understand how bad it is or what we can do to just lessen that total stress burden. So keep on going. Right. Well, my next point of departure is simply to be ambidextrous. And this I find really interesting because when you listen to people talk about stress, there's usually we talk about Buddhism, we talk about meditation, we talk about relinquishing our attachment to various things. That's the yin side of stress relief. But there's also a yang side. And the yang side is where we do our work, where we take control of our situation, where we go into our office and clean things up and have a to-do list and consult the calendar and that kind of thing. So the yang side is important. The yin side is also important. And I think to be really effective with this, you need to have both of these skills. So go and do the work. Work hard. Gain control over your situation, your circumstances. And then when you reach a point where that peters out, that is no longer helpful, then you go to the yin side and then you practice relinquishing your attachment. So both of these patterns are really helpful. Give us some case studies if you can, because I think I know where you're going with this. Um, right, right. Well, I think that what happens is we all get overwhelmed because, especially with computers now, we have this, this fire hose coming at us all the time with more and more tasks to be performed. And we're stuck because you have to honor some of that. You can't just simply turn off the machine and leave. Um, maybe you can for a while, but um, not forever. So you have to take it on, and that means doing the work. Then you get to the point, okay, I've done as much as I can. I've done as much as I can be expected to do. And then that's when you go outside in nature. That's when you practice some meditation. That's when you do your hobbies or your, your fun things, and you let it go. So it's, uh, it's an oscillation. It's a rhythm. That's, you know, people talk a lot about life work balance. I don't think there's any such thing. But then again, I'm a solopreneur and I work all the time. But it's to me, it's it all blends together. I cannot determine which is which. It's all the same thing to me. Right. And that that speaks to the challenge of boundaries once again, because we're all in charge of our own lives now. It's it's so many of us are freelancers in one form or another. So we have to get good at managing all of it. And that's a skill that we often are not taught in school. We have to learn it on our own. Well, we learn it or we stress ourselves to death. I learned it. And, you know, and again, going back to that kind of Denise level stress, when, when something goes wrong my day and listen, an entrepreneur Count on it. It's going to go wrong multiple times today. We have to have cast iron stomachs. And you're right, we have to be ambidextrous, which I am, by the way, physically ambidextrous. But we have to be able to say, well, shoot, that didn't work. Walk off, take a break, 
and then come back and go, oh, well, I'm glad that broke because now I have a better idea. You just have right, to kind right. of be steady in your your thinking and, and not just fall apart and cry and scream and bite the cat's tail, which I want to do sometimes. He <laughs> gets in my way a lot. But, you know, it's, stress is good and stress is bad, but you refer to something called the total stress burden. Describe that to us. Yeah. This is when you look at the human animal in the modern world and you start listing all the various things that cause us stress, it becomes overwhelming. And just starting with the pandemic, that was a big stressor, and there's been a lot of conversation about that, and that seems to be waning for the time being. But on top of that, we have this this looming ecological crisis that we're having to deal with. We've talked about mismatch, radical social inequality. That's a big stressor for all of us. This um, sense of mixed messages that we get from the modern world now that trigger the autonomic nervous system in a really jagged kind of pattern, that's really unique because one minute we are, we are stimulated to relax and in another minute we are stimulated into fight flight. And that's really unique. And you go through the modern world and one minute it's this, one minute it's, it's that. And that, that jagged pattern of stimulation is really hard on the body. Um, social polarization, that leads to all kinds of stress, misinformation, cognitive overload, temporal poverty, this idea that uh, no one seems to have time to do anything anymore. All of these things, the stress burden that we're living under now is immense, but it it looks like it's going to only increase in years to come. So, So this is why stress skill is so important. We really have to take control of it. So you just mentioned the autonomic nervous system. What is that? Well, we learned about this in high school, and they teach it as simply this deep wiring in the body that is quite old, and it's it's subcortical, is below the level of the conscious brain, and it's amazingly powerful because it gives us the fight flight response, but it also gives us the rest and digest response and it operates like a teeter totter. So you're in one state or the other and it affects every single cell in the body. And it's very important for our long-term health, but it's also really important for our performance and our behavior and our cognition, what we think. So the, the autonomic nervous system is, in a very real sense, driving the bus of our body. And it's, it's below the level of consciousness, but it's, it's really doing the heavy lifting of maneuvering us through the world. And that's why we have to take it seriously. And we need techniques. The, the standard narrative here tells us that we need to get out of the fight flight, the chronic state of being stimulated and fearful and hypervigilant, and then somehow get over to the other side of the rest and digest response, which is sometimes referred to as feed and breathe. That's the skill. That's the challenge that we face. Gotcha. Well, in your book, you talk about cortisol. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's go down that path. You say that cortisol surges through our tissue, driving us toward impatience, distress, dysfunctional behavior, and declining health. Now, I know that stress is, if I'm not mistaken, stress and possibly inflammation are, you know, kind of trying to be the, the things that are going to kill us. I mean, I think they're neck and neck. Right. And this... The stress hormone cortisol, it inspires the body, you might say, towards physical action, physical mobilization, which is a great thing if you are under actual physical stress. If you are being chased by the tiger, you want to be able to run. You want to be able to move, and cortisol is great for that. It, it inspires the body to take action. And 
in moderation, that's a great thing. So you go out, you get, you go on a hunt or you get chased by the tiger and then you come back to camp and you sit in camp for a day or two or three days, whatever it is, and you heal up and the cortisol ebbs away and kind of dissolves and then you start to feel better. The body puts itself back together, heals, and now you can do it all over again. So cortisol is a frenemy and it's it's a great thing in moderation. How do we work with cortisol if we're at a desk, if we're you know working in somebody else's office, which you will never see me do? Um, <laughs> I am unemployable. Trust me on this, but and deliberately so. But we we sit a lot as a world, you know. Well, modern world, I think. We're at our desk. We're in front of our devices. With me, I'm banging on a keyboard. Where does cortisol come in there? How do we deal with it? How do we notice it? Right. Well. You can kind of assume it because of the way the modern world is constructed now and the way that we are so constantly engaged. So the the cure there, the solution, and a lot of people have said this, it's not just me, is taking frequent breaks to disengage from this, this digital fire hose and especially what I call a movement snack. Now, there's a lot of talk in the world of fitness about the importance of exercise and that that's totally valid. But what I say is let's take lots of breaks. Let's do these movement snacks in a way you would take um, a nutritional snack every now and then get up from your desk, grab a medicine ball and do some movement or just do some squats and lunges. There's plenty of movements you can do five minutes. I do that. Frank, I do that. I'm, I'm up and down all day long. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm like a jack-in-the-box, and I have trained myself over time to do squats or to do calf lifts. If I'm outside in the backyard, I've got a raised patio and a lower patio, and I will use that lip, you know, that that extra um, height, if you will, to do calf lifts, lunches. And, you know, it's, and it's only three, three or four minutes, but I feel better. Yes. Oh, yeah. It's it's absolutely the way to go. And in fact, I think what I see in the fitness world is a lot of people moving in this direction where we're starting to realize it, 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 it's nice to do a full one-hour workout or a two-hour no, workout. Not. No, it's not. No. If you have the time, you can do that. And a lot of people do it, and it's it's great. But the more important thing right now is to do these movement snacks, to integrate those the frequent movement into your life, and it has a very powerful effect. So the movement snacks, meditation snacks, and you don't have to get fancy. You just have to get up and start moving around. It's great. <laughs> it is. And I've learned, too, and if you're in front of a computer, as I am all the time, you're going to find that you've got about 15 to 20 minutes of pure focus. Right. After that, you're reading the same sentence over again. You're writing bad code. You're just going, what the heck just happened? So, you know, I'm up and down. Seriously, I'm like a jack-in-the-box. And I can't meditate. But I mm-hmm. do something that I call the open refrigerator door meditation. We all go to the refrigerator. <laughs> we don't know why we're there or how we got there. We open that door, and we don't have a thought in our head, right? We're blank. Mm-hmm. So I go in there deliberately oftentimes, and I will stick my head as a double-door refrigerator. I stick my entire body as far as I can go, and I just meditate. <laughs> Nothing's happening. My brain is just down. It took a break, and I, it works. I'm telling you, try sticking your head in the refrigerator. It works. <laughs> okay. Well, one of my hacks is to – I have a pair of noise-canceling headphones, and when I sit at my desk – I say, okay, this is time to focus. I put on the noise-canceling headphones, and I work as hard as I can for a half an hour. Then I take off the, the headphones, and I do a movement snack. And I take my dog for a walk or do some chores oh, like or whatever that. it is. Yeah. And it, yeah. it's a nice yeah. rhythm that way. I do something very similar. I'll pick up a cat. I have you know cats that are famous on Facebook. One of them actually gets Christmas cards. I will dance in the kitchen with a cat. 
he lets me. It, it works. <laughs> you know, so, yeah, I will scoop up this 20-pound cat. I figure that he's as you know, good as an exercise you know, type of thing because he's 20 pounds. And I just haul him around, and then I go yeah. back to work. Yeah. 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 So that's an exercise snack. Um, he doesn't know it, but he is. <laughs> Very nice. Now, another angle on all of this, especially with stress, is what you might call the story body connection. And this is the importance of narrative and the stories that we live by, because that is, that's right at the heart of our experience. And if you are living by a certain story that doesn't match up with reality, then you're going to experience stress. And this brings us into this whole conversation about what our narratives are in the world, how to change our narratives, how stable our narratives might happen to be. And I think that is a very fruitful place to, um, to explore. Okay, let's go down that road. So if we are telling, if I understand, if we're telling ourselves nothing but lies, and a lot of us do, we're all guilty of it. You know, we see things differently than other people. We think we're just fabulous. Sometimes we're really not. Sometimes we are. But the, our personal narrative is basically one that we've kind of inflicted on ourselves. Right, right. Yes, and it depends on how flexible your narrative happens to be. And some of us, I think, generate narratives about the world when we're young and maybe by the time we graduate from high school you've got a fixed narrative a stable even rigid narrative about the way the world is and then we go out in the world and we we find contradictions and we get angry we get stressed we get unhappy and the problem isn't with the world the problem is with the narrative so part of the challenge i think is to have a narrative flexibility and to have a narrative that is stable, but also athletic, you might say, something that is strong, but also flexible. And that takes work. That, that means, well, this is what happens in therapy oftentimes, is revising our stories about how the world works. And this is something that can work with a coach, with a therapist, or we can just take it on ourselves, is rewrite our narratives. And... It's incredibly powerful. Is this something that you have to work on yourself? Oh, well, of course. But by being a writer, it's right. I have to do this. And so I develop ideas about how the world works. And then I actually gather information. I say, well, i got to rewrite this narrative. And it's painful. <laughs> it's, it's not an easy process. But you have to do it if you want to stay relevant and if you want to have uh, effectiveness in the world and if you want to dap, dampen your stress. So that's fundamental. Yeah, I would think so. And listen, stress is something that we're all aware of. It's in every third word of every book, it seems like. But the truth is, I mean, I've had really stressful experiences, but then I look around at other people's stress and go, you know what? You're good. Keep on going. Right. Yes. Just measuring against other people's experience, that's helpful. It's also helpful to reframe our narrative around identity. And one way I do this is to read adventure stories and to look at the way other humans have with, uh, withstood various stresses. And it's incredible what humans can do. I mean, we are an unbelievably resilient kind of animal. And there, there's a contrary narrative out there. A lot of people think that they're fragile. I'm fragile. I'm under stress. These bad things are happening to me and my body is starting to break down. And that's a narrative that, that can be problematic. But read and listen and learn about how unbelievably strong people can be. We are that. See, I don't think humans have tapped anywhere near into what the human potential is. In fact, I think if we've maybe hit 3%, I might be wrong. It may be 2%. I mean, there's so much that we can do and won't do or should do 
but we don't know to do it. We don't know how strong we are, honestly, until we're kind of backed up into a corner, I think. Right, and then stress becomes a teacher. This is something that we we right. really talk about. But stress will teach us when our narrative, when we have a mismatch with our narrative, or that we aren't being creative, that our story isn't fitting. So stress is like a warning light on the dashboard of your car, and it's information. That's another reframe because stress is an unpleasant situation. Um, sensation a lot of times but it's also information and as soon as you reframe it that way then you it's something that you can work with what is it trying to tell me i like that and see that's such a simple way of explaining things so one of the things that you say frank is that leader and we're talking about leadership now you recommend that we treat people like animals what does that mean (laughs) Well, I love this because it's, you might call it the veterinary approach to, to management and a veterinary approach to human relationships. And it all gets back to the autonomic nervous system. And this is something we share with all mammals, vertebrates. Everybody's got one. And we all respond in similar ways to threats and challenges in the environment. So, you look at the people around you and maybe you have to work with them. Maybe you have to manage them in some way. Maybe they're your students, your clients, your patients, whatever it happens to be. Start with the autonomic nervous system and look at their predicament. How much stress are they under right now? Can you pinpoint that? And then how will your relationship, how will your encounter affect that? Will you drive them deeper into stress or will you reduce it? And this, I think, is something that we miss because we take a lot of our cues from tradition. We say, okay, well, we're in a certain profession and we treat our clients or our patients, our students in a particular way just because that's the way it's always been done. But no, if you start from a clean slate and say, okay, this is an animal I'm working with, how much stress are they under right now? And then you work from there. That allows you to be more precise in your presentation, more precise in what challenges you present to your students, your clients, your patients. And it it makes a huge difference. We could revamp entire professions this way by treating people like animals. What I'm hearing is that you're actually listening. And to me, listening is important and observing is important. So when you're listening or you're watching, observing animals, whether it's your cat, your dog, or your significant other, you probably need to shut up for a while and just listen. Right. This is a great idea because what I'm seeing out in the stress world is a lot of people now are coming up with technological solutions. They say, we can measure your cortisol level, and there's, there's various ways to do that. We can draw blood. We can there's a lot of ideas there. But for me, the technological solution there is not that useful. What what I would rather do is listen to the stories that people tell, listen to their explanatory style, take more time to be with people and just listen. And it doesn't take that long. You can find out how much stress people are under but just by listening to the stories they tell. And that's as good as measuring their cortisol levels. And this is something that we, I think we need to revamp a lot of our professional interactions to allow more space for that. Listen, I agree with you. I think listening is grossly underrated and ignored. I think if you'll sometimes just sit down, put your hands in your lap, make good eye contact if you're looking at somebody in the face, and just listen, and then ask the occasional question that actually makes sense, and then keep on listening. Yes, absolutely. And yeah, especially in professions where we would expect to have a, sort of a humane kind of relationship, uh, education, medicine, that kind of thing, therapy, obviously, we need to slow down. And that's, um, that's good advice for 
all of us at the moment. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, you're talking about veterinarians. Listen, I'm a hel- helicopter pet parent. I mean, I watch mine, they watch me, and I can tell you when there's something going on and they're not really evincing anything going on, but I'll haul them to the vet and say, okay, she's she's not right. There's something going on. That's yeah. how I found out that my my 17-year-old cat, Odalie, had diabetes. I mean, I just knew that there was something wrong, but if you pinned me down, I couldn't tell you what it was. I was just watching her. And I think, and my point for that is that if we do this with the people around us, whether they're, you know, in our immediate vicinity or they're online or you're talking to them as a client, you really need to just sit and listen because they're going to tell you what's going on. They're going to tell you what's wrong if you're really hearing them. Right. And that points to this idea that the body is far more sensitive than we appreciate. The body is unbelievable. Just the skin alone is incredibly sensitive. But we have uh, what some therapists have described as a resonance circuit. And the resonance circuit is simply my body listening to your body, especially if we are together in the same room, where I look at your body posture and I read your nonverbal communication. And that information is picked up by my eyes and my brain. And then that's pumped down into my, into my torso, into what's called the enteric nervous system. It's the body's second brain, the gut, and it's processed and then pumped back up into the brain. And this is where bodies work great in conversation with one another. We are unbelievably sensitive to that. But when we hurry up, then that all goes away. So once again, slow down. And you mentioned your gut. Listen, I believe firmly in paying attention to what my instincts are telling me. If my gut says get away from this person, I'm gone. Mm -hmm. I don't stick around and try to make sense of whatever is going on. I just get out. Right. And it's that failure to listen to your body, I think, that generates more stress in the long run. So we have to be sensitive to our experience. We have to be polite. Right. And, you know, people, oh, you know, you need to be polite. No, no, I really don't. I need to be safe. (laughs) Right. Yes. well, Well, there's another angle on all of this that I really enjoy. And this is looking at your life as if you're a character in a movie. And this I first learned about from a guy who writes for Hollywood. He writes screenplays, and he teaches people about writing screenplays in Hollywood. And there's kind of a template. There's kind of a formula. And you've probably noticed this when you go to a movie. You want to know the character of the protagonist. You want to know about that person. And so the screenwriter reveals character by putting the protagonist under more and more stress throughout the movie. Yeah. And so this is really interesting that you start out with the movie, uh, the first 10 minutes of the movie, you meet the character and you want to know who this person is. You want to know it's not just a person who dresses a certain way or has a certain kind of hair. No, you want to know about how they deal with life. So the screenwriter says, okay, we're going to put this person under stress. And it might be an action-adventure kind of physical stress, or it might be romantic comedy, and that's a kind of stress too. But in any case, more and more stress throughout the movie. So after an hour and a half or so, then there's this ultimate stressor, and now you get to learn who the protagonist is. You You get to learn about their character. And This is valuable because we can look ourselves in the same way. You can say, okay, I'm feeling like I'm under a lot of stress today. How I deal with this is revealing my character now. I may not be able to make the stress go away, but I can learn about myself and I can still act with dignity. So this is a completely different take on stress, but it's, I think, incredibly valuable. Listen, I agree with you. And, you know, stress really does come from us. I mean, it's what we absorb. It's what we're willing to invite into our lives, what we're willing to put out there. 
And sometimes it's just downright ugly and you have to go apologize or not if you just don't feel like it. But And I always apologize. If I did something really stupid, I'm like, oh, jeez. <laughs> All right. Let's, I'm sorry. And some, And you know who I'm apologizing the most to? Me. Because I do a lot of stupid stuff. But I like what you're saying because you have to know who you are, who you are as a protagonist, and really how you're going to show up. And that's the biggest stressor in my life is me, no question. But I'm learning to find ways to say, you know, is this true? Is this really true? Is that tiger really going to eat you? Or should you just open a can of food and feed the tiger? What's going on? <laughs> right. Well, there's another point to be made here, and that's with the standard narrative that we see at the supermarket checkout counter. We hear a lot of promises about making your life stress-free, as if no that is <laughs> right, as if that is the objective. You know, here's how to make your life stress-free, and if you start thinking about it. That's not really what you want because in the first place, you can't do it. But in the second place, you wouldn't want to do it. You want that stress to teach you about the world and teach you about your relationship to reality. So you want the stress that the, the only remaining question is, how are you going to, how are you going to behave in the face of it? And you're the protagonist in the movie. Are you going to retain your dignity and your composure or are you going to throw it away? And that's who, you know, the great screenwriter in the sky is setting you up for this, and you get to respond how you want. I'm almost speechless. That was just absolutely brilliant. (laughs) So thank you. You put it so simply. It's like, well, duh, why didn't I think of that? Well, you don't know what you don't know, which is why I have this podcast, because I get to meet people like you. But the thing is, we have to, if I'm hearing you correctly, if I'm understanding, we have to actually sit with ourselves on a regular basis, whether it's five o'clock in the morning, whether it's during your, what did you call those exercise snacks? Right, you movement have to, snacks. Yeah, movement snacks. Oh, I wrote it down wrong. I'm going to rewrite that. Movement snacks. But um, you have to constantly be digging, I think, into your own narrative. You can't just go, oh, well, you know, this is who I am and this is how I'm going to behave. And everybody just has to deal with, I think it's kind of a moment-by-moment decision, isn't it? Right. And we're constantly creating ourselves. We're constantly creating our relationship with the world. And... This is why I think art is a really powerful uh, solution, if you will, to our predicament. Just keep creating. If you feel stuck, that's fine. If you feel stressed, that's fine too. But look for the workarounds. There's always, almost always, there's a workaround. And that, how would the artist deal with this situation that you find yourself in? And that there, your answer might be right there. And I'm glad you brought that up, you know, artist and creativity, because, you know, this was one of my stories that I told to myself that I am not artistic at all, which I really am not. If I do it, draw a hangman, he looks like he needs to get to a chiropractor stat. He looks <laughs> bad. <laughs> so for years, I told myself that I was, I was not artic- artistic, But what I didn't recognize, because I was so busy insulting my own art, that I'm immensely creative, and a lot of people are, but just have not tapped into that or recognized it. I mean, I have a computer science degree, a science degree. Who knew? I sure as heck didn't. I'm terribly creative, but it took me way longer than it should have to get past my own narrative. Right, and this is how we frame things, right? We say, well, I I can't draw, therefore I'm not artistic, but there's a million ways to be artistic and creative. And it's this is not just a nice thing to have. It's not just frosting on the cake. This is fundamental to our uh, how we grow and develop in the world. So artistic education, I think, should be foundational in our schools and our approach to life, the, the humanities. This is essential to who we are and it's essential to dealing with this modern predicament that we find ourselves in. I mean, art is 
um, foundational. Well, and it's everywhere. I mean, art can be storytelling. I think that's right. very much a part of art. Books. Right. I mean, don't tip. You know, I can't even turn the TV on because I don't know how to operate my remote. I cut cable a long time ago, and I get bored. I either fall asleep and drool, or I just shut it off and go cook something. I hate television. Always right. have. Give me a stack of books, though, and I am in heaven. So right. we all have to, I think, figure out where we want to consume and create our art, if you will. For me, it's reading other people's work and you know, like you said earlier, finding out what's there that has me going, ah, oh, let me go explore. Let me get curious about this. Right. The, the other advantage here is that art is a way, or creativity, you might say, is a way out of the drama triangle. And ah. this is, yeah, now you may know about the drama triangle. It's simply a pattern of human relationship that comes up over and over again. So when somebody's under stress or has a hurtful experience that is very common for us to cast ourselves as victims. And in turn, we say, well, I'm a victim and out there is a perpetrator, someone who has hurt me in, in a particular way. And at the other point of the triangle is a rescuer, somebody who is going to help me, somebody or something that's going to help me. And this is extremely common. We do this all the time. And, the way out of the drama triangle, as a lot of coaches and therapists have taught us, is to be creative. Don't get tied up in this blaming and complaining about the perpetrator or running for rescue to somebody else. Start creating and living your life. Don't get tied up in the drama triangle. And that's great advice. It is. And I read somewhere, and I, I'm going to have to paraphrase because it's just so true, and I don't know who said it, but basically don't worry about what other people are thinking of you because you'd be surprised how little or how frequently they do think of you. So how'd it go? Right. Yeah, that's called the spotlight effect where we just get oh. wrap, wrapped up in our own assumptions that the whole world is paying attention to us, and it's usually not. Exactly. And I don't get my feelings hurt because I just assume nobody knows who I am. In fact, when I do my pre-interviews, somebody will say, oh, I've been listening to you. Really? <laughs> I just assume that I'm working on my keyboard over here all by myself and nobody's paying a lick of attention. Turns out that's not true, but I don't make it so important in my life that I'm seeking, you know, oh, you love me. Who is it, Sally Field? You like me. You really, really like me. I kind of don't care. If you do, great. I'll probably like you back. If you don't, well, there's a lot of people that I would rather pay attention to anyway. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Wonderful. Well, I would say that uh, the other angle on stress that's useful is building continuity with the world, building relationship, building um, connection with the world. And this actually goes back to our life support systems. And this goes back to are the relationships that we have with habitat and people that uh, sustain us. And there's a tendency in the modern world to get isolated. A lot of people complain about loneliness, and that is definitely a stressor. So we have to be active in this. We have to be actively putting ourselves in connection, in contact with habitat, which is to say nature, and also the people around us. And that requires, that requires effort now. So that the more we can weave ourselves into the world, the stronger we're going to feel and the more resistant we are, the more resilient we will be. Gotcha. Listen, we've got about six more minutes. So now I need to ask you, we've talked a lot about stress. We've talked a lot about why some of it's good, some of it's bad. We've talked about cortisol. We've talked, we've covered a lot of ground here. So what are your favorite solutions and antidotes to stress? Right. Well, we talked about just reframing our identity as, as hyper resilient animals. And we've talked about narrative, how important that is. We've talked about the idea that stress is a frenemy and it's working in our favor a lot of times. The, the other 
remedy, you might say, that I I really enjoy is simply to look at stress as a sign that you're doing authentically creative work. And again, imagine yourself as a creator, as an artist of sorts, whatever that happens to be. Well, inevitably, if you are doing something new and novel in the world, you are going to meet resistance. By definition, that's that's how that works. So if you are a creator, you are an artist, you're trying to do something genuinely new, you are going to meet resistance. So you shouldn't at all be surprised to meet stress along the way. That's a sign that you are doing something right. And even if people ignore your work, that is still a sign that maybe you're doing something right because it doesn't fit with the standard paradigm of the world. So yes, I'm stressed today because I'm doing something different. And that for me is an incredibly powerful way to look at it. Very much. And you know what I've noticed? People will say, oh, I'm stressed today, like you just did. Or, you know, I'm having a really bad day. And my response to that is, no, you're not. You're having a bad 15 minutes, maybe. Mm -hmm. Maybe your stress is already, you know, somebody banged on the door and told you they hate your dog. Okay, that's done with. Go on to go do something else. Yeah, you're not stressed all day, I don't think, and you're not having a bad day. You're having moments. I mean, we're, our lives are made up of moments, of minutes, of hours. Don't take that on and say, oh, I'm having a bad day. No, you're not. <laughs> I, I seriously doubt that that's the truth. But, again, you have to reframe it. Right. And I think another related idea here, one of the sort of standard features of people who are under stress, one of the uh, standard behaviors that we do is called reversion to the familiar. So when you are having that stressful experience, what do you want to do? Well, you want to go home and sit on the couch and be in a safe place that you recognize, a safe place that's familiar to you. And we do that not just with our living room, but we do it in all sorts of ways. I'm stressed. I want to go back to something that I understand, something that I know. I want to read the same books. I want to watch the same movies. I want to meet with the same people and have the same food. And we do this over and over again. That is helpful for a while, but the dose makes the poison there. And if you recognize this in yourself, that's that's a kind of a warning sign in itself. It's like, wait, I have to be creative. I have to buck up. I need to try something new and get out of that rut. So beware of reversion to the familiar. Right. And I think you talk about that in Chapter 7 where you talk about practice is perfect. Mm-hmm. So I'm pretty sure you cover that. You say lessons, training, and practice are all well and good. But when it comes to our actual encounters with the stressful real world, we always seem to find ways to get it wrong. Then they're done. <laughs> it will do it again by noon today. So I'm not even worried about it. Right. And that's the the problem with habit and the plasticity of the nervous system because the body, the brain, it's a habit-forming organism. And we fall into habit quite easily. That's the body's really good at doing that. And if the habits are adaptive, everything's great. But if the world changes, then all of a sudden you're under stress because your behaviors no longer fit. So we have to be capable of getting out of habit. And that is where a coach comes in. That's where a therapist comes in. That's where we, we look for new ideas and new ways to live. Self-awareness. It really is important to be self-aware and figure out if you're, you're thinking, oh, man, I need ice cream. Do you really? <laughs> Seriously? Is that going to make you feel good? Are you going to you know, put on five pounds because you had a bad moment? Come on. So, <laughs> yeah. We've got about a minute and a half. Where can people find you? And before I let you go, do you have any other kind of wisdom to share with our audience? Well, I think the final thing to say here is that sometimes I've offered you some ideas to reframe, some possible solutions, ways to make stress um, be more compatible with your life, that kind of thing. But sometimes there's really nothing you can do. And this is where we hear people talk, people use the phrase suffer well. And I've often wondered about that. What does it mean to suffer well? It 
sometimes there's nothing you can do. And what you can do is take it on, live it, and suffer with dignity and still stay in the game, still stay engaged with the world. Don't retreat. Don't escape. Stay with it. And that's what is meant by suffering well. And you don't want it to get to that point, but sometimes it does. And, yeah, keep your dignity. Stay engaged, even if it hurts. This is something that, that we can all do. That's brilliant. Thank you. Well, listen, Frank, thank you. Oh, where can people find you? Oh, right. And, and this, is easy. this is easy because you can just Google uh, Beware False Tigers and you'll get the links. Or you can go to exuberantanimal.com, which is spelled just how it sounds, exuberant animal. And, yeah, it's uh, all the links are right there. Thank you. Frank, it's been wonderful speaking with you, and I've been scribbling down notes like a crazy person. I thank you so much for spending time with us. And before we say goodbye, I would like to remind our audience to be sure to look for us on iTunes and really anywhere else you consume your business podcast. You can't throw a stick on the Internet without hitting your partner in Success Radio. So just find us and take us along on your success journey. Frank, again, thank you so much. I appreciate it so much. Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far-reaching podcast, contact Denise Griffiths at yourofficeontheweb.com and go to the podcast tab.